This morning, as we're concluding Missions Awareness Month, our final focus is on all of our lives, everyday life. That's to simply put, on personal evangelism. Um, Luke chapter 15 is the text. And there is a reason why it was important for us to read the whole chapter. And Jay just read 32 verses of it. And today, my focus and my purpose is not necessarily go through the whole chapter uh, to study the in-depth study of what the passage is saying, but we want to have a bird's eye view with the purpose of catching God's heart. What makes God's heart leap for joy? That is the question we have in this morning. Why is it important? Because if you remember the people who said you love you, a lot of well-meaning parents on their intentionality of love and mess up the children. Maybe, for example, the workaholic uh, dad is saying, here are the things that you wanted, and here are toys, and here are nice house, a nice place to live, and enough delicious meals for on, on the table. That's how I love you. But a child, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, longs to be with his dad or her dad. And at times, it's husband and wife also, too. So why, why doesn't she know that I love her? I do all these things. But from woman's point of view, he just, all these things, does wrong. I mean, how many years does it take for him to know that I don't like this particular flower? I hate it. He doesn't even know. Or some, some, some of our, you know, my marriages, Kate doesn't like those flowers. Actually, she likes practical things. But just because it's a practical thing, that's, that doesn't mean practical in a, in a way that is a tire, you need a tire kind of thing. <laughs> the question in this morning is this. Could it be our relationship with God could be something like that? That we could do all the things, religious things and noble things, and our lives and calendars are filled with activities and programs and yet, could it, be, could it be that we don't know what makes heart, God's heart tick? So there are kind of uh, four things that I want to begin with, at least to bring the awareness of this, the last message of Missions Awareness Month. Why is it so important? Why is it knowing God's heart? Why is knowing God's, what makes God's heart leap for joy 
so important. Overall, let me begin with this before we get into the four things. Because missions becomes mere busy activity without knowing God's heart. Another way of putting it is missions are fueled by in touch with God's heart. So because of that, here's uh, four reasons. Number one, we may be very religious, but have no clue what brings joy to God's heart. That, that's actually central context of this text in Luke chapter 15. Number two, we may be very dutiful, but joyless in our daily walk with God. And I, I would actually even encourage you to count how many times Luke chapter 15 mentions the words like joy, rejoicing, and celebrating. In other words, true Christian life is filled with joy, this joy. If you're just merely dutiful, you're missing God's joy and God's heart. Number three, we may be very knowledgeable about God without knowing, without really knowing God. It is as if the psychologist knows so much of a, how to uh, communicate, how to listen, uh, how gender difference impact marriages, but in his whole, own life, in her own, own life, he or she does not know their spouse. In the same way, we might be so knowledgeable about the Bible, about God, but do we know what tugs our God's heart? And we're drawn to that when God's heart is so tender, when God's heart breaks and aches. And leave for joy. Fourth and last, we may we may be missing out on the joy that can revolutionize our Christian life. And you know, you could see Tuang's excitement and passion. It's it's about joy. And I will be the first person. To add to that. And if you ask me, Paul, um, how did you get into ministry? And I'll say this it's because of this joy. I told myself that I'll serve God, but in the parenthetical remark was not as a full time pa- pastor, not as a full time person. It was a fear of me. Because I like fun too much. And I, I like, back in the days, I like being tough too much. I cannot, you know, being tough as a junior high and high school and even college years. But what happened was in, during my college years, 
I learned to how to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the result to God. And when I did that, within that year period of time, about 20 people received Christ. And some of them became actually my first group of small group of Bible study. And that joy was so contagious that I kept on going on, doing it more, and to a point that one day I couldn't think of anything better to do for the rest of my life. Bill Bright's quote last week caught my heart. I'm going to suffer and die anyway, whether Christians or not. But if I'm going to suffer and die one day, why not do this? Why not suffer and die for Christ's cause? And if I could do it in full time, why not? What am I holding out for? So often, oftentimes I will say, I'm the pastor who came through the back door. I didn't mean to, I didn't volunteer to be a pastor. I didn't volunteer to be a full-time minister at all. But because of this joy, the joy that is so contagious, and my fear as we are shifting our theological conviction to be light and salt of the earth, that we might miss out in this joy, that we are so comfortable about being a small little community that we're content with where we are. And I'll share more about why that is so dangerous a bit later. But let's go right into the today's text. Luke 15 starts with this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Eats with them to their um, operational definition is fellowship, being intimate, being inclusive of that. And Jesus told them this parable. Have you noticed that? Did Jesus or Luke made a grammatical error here? In this chapter, there are three parables. But here, this parable. Here's the reason why. Jesus is telling, using not just one or two, or three, all three parables, stories, to drive one single point. It's about God's heart. And to Pharisees and Pharisees uh, and scribes, do you know what God's heart look like? Before we judge and separate us ourselves from the Pharisees and the scribes, let me explain a little bit of a good noble side of Pharisees and scribes. Pharisees is a movement, type of movement, people. Uh, it was in a title ascribed by the uh, on the other hand 
was a title given to many of the scribes were Pharisees. As the teachers of the law, people who are uh, revering and copying the manuscripts, uh, teaching God's law. Pharisees were movement with a good intention. So if I could kind of catch phrase for them was uh, back to the Bible. There is a radio program, which is a really excellent radio program for that too. But in their own way, back to God's law. And we're going to be serious about keeping God's law and following God's law wholeheartedly. Such a good thing, right? And it, it was the intention because of the reaction to the compromising Israelites and they were just throwing left and right at all the things God commanded them to be. And because of uh, returning to the, from exile uh, back to their land and their, their noble intention and good thing began. Do you, do you see what it is? In other words, these are the people who began with God will be our main focus. They fasted three times a week. They, they fasted twice a week and three times a day they would pray exact time. But what happened was what they're keeping became external rather than inside out transformation. So they were concerned about what appears to be godly and holy to others. So because of that, the word hypocrites came out. And Jesus called them, you're like whitewashed tombs. And if you look at the you know, uh, calendar of Greek, Greece and European tour kind of thing, and you see the white buildings, the houses, right? So that's a whitewashed. But what happened was when the tomb, when the dead body was thrown, you know, laid there, and they will use that white thing to cover. And it looks white and clean outside. But inside, there are all kinds of wicked things that are going on. That's what Jesus is saying. Clean the inside of cup rather than outside cup only. So think about this. Their life, I mean, you to a point that their schedule and their everything was centered around this God thing. We at Crossway had many of us have become disillusioned from the contemporary church movement to a point that this uh, consumer-oriented church we need to do away and go back to Scripture and really look at Acts chapter 2 church. And it's been such a joyful thing. But we might, if we're not careful, become callous like Pharisees and scribes. I'm going to come back to this point. So, majority of people well-meaning Christians to not know the actual point and the, the target audience for Jesus was this, these people. 
rather than the prodigal son. There are three stories in this in this in, in this chapter, and then the it kind of crescendo to that. Right? The first one was lost sheep. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them? The second one, same story, same same message, but he, he goes instead of hundred, he goes into ten silver coins. Or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one? Now, the crescendo of it. There was a man who had two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had because he he has gotten inheritance before his father died and took a journey to a far country. And the rest of the story, we're so familiar with that. That he debauchery and he spent it all on prostitute and drinking and he became so needy that he was just eating the food that pigs were fed. And that lost son, hundred, ten, two, which each one of them has one lost item or sheep, or son. In other words, if, you tell, if you're asking Jesus, can you tell us about God's heart? And this will be the first point to coming out so loudly through the stories. Lost people matter to God. As a matter of fact, lost people matter in great deal to God. Who cares about those people in East Asia when Bo and Cindy are going into village, oh, they're too far and they're kind of different. They're weird. No, one lost person over there matters to God. Obviously, because of our emphasis, we need to think about who are really lost, who are unbelieving friends and family, who are unchurched, who who are people dropped out of church, they matter to God. Before we think about duty, before we think about, I got to do this obligation, and even feeling like, oh, maybe I should go to Tuang's workshop about how how to share the gospel. Before we get all that, we need to get close to God's heart and say, lost people matter to God. We all know John 3.16. The John 3.16 is actually God's mission. For God so loved the world. Let's be very clear about the, what world is. Of course, as a Christian, we need to be good steward of God's creation. But in this world, the, uh, hermeneutically speaking, it's very simple. For God's love, the people of the world. For God's love, lost people. 
that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are notorious equivalent of sinners because and not only their betrayal of their, uh, their own nation became the Roman Empire's dirty hands to collect uh, taxes for Rome, but they were almost given our, our kind of equivalent, I don't know, maybe people might not have the same thing. At least the old days, the used car salesman. That kind of mentality. You know, these, these people lie. These people cheat. And these people always get some extra money under the pocket. That was the concept. The sinners, prostitutes. Let's get this. Very clear. This is not a conceptual thing. Jesus was hanging out with these dirty people, social rejects. And they were concerned. They were even disturbed and offended by Jesus. Why? Their concern is externalism. It's all about not get contaminated by these sinners. In our society, if you live in Orange County, most of us, and even, I would say, even say that Southern California, oh, it is dangerous for us to become like that. Gated community? And in some cities, I wouldn't say where, Strange people walking around, police will come around and pick them, pick him up, and drive to other city and drop him up. And if you Google or the Facebook post, some of many of Southern California cities, Orange County cities, are on the top safest city of the nation, the best cities to live in. When do we get to hang out with dirty social rejects? Okay, let's bring it a little closer. Lost people matter to God. The people who are sitting right next to you day after day in the, the cubicles, unchurched, irreligious people matter to God. Your cousins, your nephews and nieces, your, your parents who are out of touch with any kind of spiritual community drop out from the church. They matter to God. If you're listening with your head only, my message will be so redundant. He's repeating the same thing over and over. You got to listen to the heart because Jesus was doing that. Number two point about what can we learn about God's heart is God's heart aches for one person who is lost. 
Once again, let's let look at the bird's eye view and capture the God's aching out on each story. First story, lost sheep. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Lost coin. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Lost son. And the father arose and came to his, I mean the son, the lost son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We're familiar with that conclusion. But I want to go back to that waiting father. If we could somehow zero in with a camera on his waiting heart, this happens to be many days, probably, that he was coming out on the hill, looking at the countryside, whether his son is coming back. The waiting father. That's the picture of God's heart. I have an aunt. Aunt Maggie, Margaret. Um, our mom's side, most of them are in the States. And probably she, according to my knowledge, she, her family uh, became, became a starting point of our immigration. Because he, her, uh, my Aunt Maggie and her husband came during 50s, late 50s. Uh, she, they lived in Oklahoma, uh, went to school, grad school, and they got married. Uh, they had two children. The many years passed, and I still remember when Aunt Maggie was sharing this. This was back in, I think, 80s. She decided to finally visit Korea after, you know, 30, 40 years having passed. And then uh, my, my, my grandma, her mother, was living with us. And then she visited, and then she was staying at our, our place. And then she said, um, with tears, that my grandma is usually not that expressive with her feelings and affirmation. No, I love yous. Um, while she was in, in staying in, in, in Seoul, she decided to make the most out of it, and she's really interested in making things. And, and she decided to learn how to sew and how to become really make your own clothes kind of thing. So she went to this little uh, class every night, every every afternoon, and and then she said. Every single day that I was coming home, on the corner 
my mother, my grandmother, who is not even five feet, would wait anxiously, folding hands, sticking out her head just a little bit. Not one day she missed. And she said, uh, one night I was coming home, and so my mother waiting again. And something got to me. I got welled up. Feeling so much love and compassion and care for. My grandmother didn't say a word of uh, expression of the Western eyes of I love you at all. Of course, she's joyful to see her. her her daughter coming home. But while she's waiting, while this father is waiting, think about the aching heart. What makes God's heart live for joy? In order for us to know that, we need to know what makes God's heart ache. And think about the moment that um, when, when the shepherd finds a lost sheep and puts it under, uh, above his shoulder and is carrying. But until then, his anxious heart. Oh, we could identify with, with that and you know, maybe there was a five minute of the moment of panic that when you thought your son or you, your little daughter was missing at the mall, and after a while she was just he was just busy running around somewhere. But even that moment, the aching heart is there. Do you feel the ache? For your lost, unchurched, irreligious people, church dropouts, people who are disillusioned. I'm going to dare to say, if we don't feel that ache, we're too distant, too detached from God's heart. We might be doing all the right things. Back in the, I think, you know, days when Billy Graham was traveling, and one day he preached about second coming of Jesus Christ. And this was his younger days. He was fiery. He was on fire. Jesus might come today. Jesus might come today. Jesus might come today. And later on, Billy Graham got a letter from 13-year-old kid, child. And this girl wrote, Dear Mr. Graham, could you tell God to hold Jesus 
few more weeks. My daddy doesn't know Jesus yet. Do you see, you feel the aching heart? Do you believe people are lost without Christ? Do you believe the greatest news Jesus has can cure every single sinner without an exception? Of course, there are obstacles. Of course, there are our own brokenness and frailty and flakiness, all that. But we need to feel that ache again. So week after week, if we are feeling so comfortable being a little community that is so cozy, we need to be careful about that. And as a pastor, you know my heart. I have no interest in growing organizational things at this church. I resign to that. I surrender that drivenness to God. So I'm not talking about number of things here. But I'm talking about our heart. Catching God's heart. If some of us begin to say, I like this church because this church is small and cozy. And that's why I don't like the big mega churches. That's why I'm here. Oh, you got it wrong. You got it big time wrong. We're small because God doesn't send the people yet. But we need to be ready if God sends people who will return to, return to God again, what are you going to say? Oh, we have no room. I, I think, you, you know, that church, big church, you will like it. Oh, you go over there. They will love it. If that was your sister, if that was your brother, there must be one more room in our church for the lost person. God will... Make the room for us, right? Isn't it? As if the Titanic scene and there's a, you know, the boat coming out. The woman and children first. There must be one more room. Let's come close to God's heart and feel it. And let's not even think about what to do yet. Feel the aching heart. And then begin to see just overwhelming compassion and mercy of Jesus who intentionally spends time with people who are lost. Third and last, God's heart leaps for joy when a lost, one lost person returns to God. Once again, overview of repetition in verse 5. And when he finds it, the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no, no repentance. About lost coin, verse 9. When she find, has find it, found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Lost son. Verse 22. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh, the joy of God, the gladness of God in all this. Did you notice also every single story? There is contagious joy. One doesn't find something and oh, I'm happy. And that's the end of calling his friend. Rejoice with me. Let's throw a party. And did you know that? Did you know that the climactic story of Jesus, the uh, lost son, when he comes back, this is the only moment the Almighty God is running. God ran. And son was probably reciting how he's going to apologize. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say I don't deserve to be your son. Treat me as one of your daily servants that you hire. He couldn't finish the sentence because he was grabbing his neck. The father was smothering him with kiss, kisses. The joy. What's going on in, up in heaven when a per, one lost person returns? The angels before God rejoice, dances with the leaps of God's joy. I looked through some of my notes and found this uh, memorable story that I um, I, back then, we didn't have children yet. Uh, we, Kate and I were traveling to the East Coast of Baltimore, visiting friends. I had a speaking engagement. The whole thing began because of that. And I, we visited our cousin and stayed at their, room, at their house and saw Naval Academy. It's a busy activity. It's a lot of fun activity. But one, one thing Kate mentioned during the trip, even before the trip, was, oh, cherry blossom trees. I want to take a picture of, you know, of that and visit Jefferson Memorial and take a picture of cherry blossoms in Washington, D.C. 
were so busy. And oh, on top of that, there was a wedding to go to also too. So I said, oh, tomorrow I'm going to be speaking at the church. Can we just kind of take it easy, come home, I mean, come back to our place and get some, re- get some rest, and then go to wedding. We went to the wedding, but up until this, part, this point, Kate was fine with that. And then after the wedding, the reception, there's a young couple sitting in front of us sharing how they got a 5 o'clock in the morning to go see cherry blossom trees. And from that, from that on, I was in big, big trouble. She would just give me cold shoulder, and they'd not even look at me. And then, I mean, that's a torture for me. I'd rather have people scream at me rather than shutting down like that. So, okay, okay, sweetie, we have time to swing by. Let's do it quick. Yeah, over there, right there, right there. And then she got even more mad. The point, what makes her heart leap for joy was our intimate time, intentional time to be romantic and to be kind of make a memory together rather than just getting there and take a picture and go. I didn't know that back then. (laughs) So I was in deep trouble for a long, long time. Do we do that with God? Come closer to God's contagious joy. How? You begin to share. I, you remember I shared a little bit about um, LA Fitness. Because of our spiritual direction, I began to have this heart, open heart, to hang out with uh, people who are lost. And I swim almost every day during the weekdays. I ran into this group of guys who are there at the same time. You know, they, they arrive with the bus from rehab. Many of them has a, you know, chemical dependence, alcoholic dependence, whatever that is. A couple of guys that I befriended with and hung out, and they have a broken story. And then at the glimpse of their stories and I'm trying to share Christ with them and actually I'm swimming with, with them. It's been close to about three, uh, two, two and a half months that I've been doing that. One of them left, a guy named Peter because his term was over. He had an interview. I didn't find out whether he got the job or not. And I gave him a little track and my phone number. I'm hoping that he will call me. You know what I felt? I have this aching heart for him. And my joy is bubbling up again. I didn't make, him, make them sit down. And I was just being who I was, who I am. In the beginning, they didn't even know I was a pastor. But what I am pointing out is the joy, contagious joy. My heart was revived again. I'm motivated again. I want to conclude. My time's already over, but just to make sure that we get the main point, I'm going to come back to the beginning 
context, Jesus was actually addressing, replying Pharisees and scribes' accusation, right? And this is his answer. The, the second son was actually the focal point of his poem. Verse 28, but he was angry, the second son, I mean the first son. Um, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of your son of yours, he couldn't even call him my brother. This son of yours came who has devoured his, your property with prostitutes. You killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. If your life is joyless, and could it be that you become so moral and dutiful, thinking that, that you deserve something from God, and that the scandalous grace and love and mercy of God for those people who don't deserve, when you see that, you become angry. You think that they have to do something. That's the furious of love of God. Sincerely scandalous love of God. And many of you already know the language because the fact that we, no one can swim to Hawaii. Not even one. Everyone comes short to the God standard. So, Sisters and brothers at Crossway, let's turn our heart to this contagious joy and to ask, God, change my heart. I'm going to reiterate what Tuang mentioned. There are four practical ways that we could do. Number one, let's pray for our lost friends. The aching heart doesn't come naturally. But when you begin to pray for them, and I'm going to continually pray for Peter, continue to pray for Kevin, who will be leaving next week. And as Tuang mentioned, the little card that you have, we're going to actually take a time to do that at the end of this message. And three people's name, just you know, and then you, you put it in your Bible. You continually pray for them daily. Of course, ask for opportunity to share the gospel. But moreover, pray for aching heart for them. Pray that God will show his heart about them to you. And go where they are. Let's not wait. I mean, my swimming pool all the time. All the, I, I don't stand in front of them. Like, come here. With, let's have a little conversation about Bible study. 
we're swimming most of the times. And the, see, these are young guys, so they complimented me in a way that is kind of demeaning for me. Because uh, <laughs> for an old guy, you swim okay, kind of thing. But most of the times I have to try to catch up, and then we laugh about that. In the steam room, and they talk about just, you know, their struggles about their family, and I listen most of the times. But there are people around me that I should begin to pray more intentionally and to go there instead of waiting, going on their turf. And number three, do things with them in Christ's love. And notice I didn't say do things to them. Love them without strings attached. Spend time, cultivate the relationship. Wait until um, their guards are down. They be, believe. They give you the right to be heard. And number four, share Christ. I didn't say share religion or share doctrines, share anything. Share Christ. That Chuang's so right. Testify about your first experience about Christ, with Christ. My prayer for all of us is that we will begin to catch God's heart. And not only for people in East Asia or Thailand or North Korea or Middle East or Japan but right here. those neighbors and friends who are right here with us. And may God help us obey that with gladness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this month. And as we focused on missions, we saw the great need a plentiful harvest and labors are so few. But we more than anything, we see your heart, your aching heart, your heart that leaps for joy when a one lost person comes back to you. We daringly ask that, that you will change Crossway, our hearts, and align us into the things that break your heart and makes your heart leaps for joy. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.